Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host of the podcast, my partner in life, and my wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. Sean, it's great to be back, especially on a week with so much going on in D.C. I mean, let's just say it. It's a tsunami. It's an earthquake. It, I don't know any, any other uh, adjective we can use, but the fact that Speaker McCarthy is no longer Speaker McCarthy, that he has been vacated from that position by Matt Gates, is something I just never expected to have happen. Yeah, the first time in the history of the country that the Speaker has been removed by a motion to vacate. Uh, it's been tried a couple of times, uh, one in the early 1900s and one uh, recently when John Boehner was the Speaker of the House. Uh, that one didn't come up for a vote. But who tried to do that? That was Mark Meadows who introduced the resolution. That's right. But it never came for a vote. But a couple months after Meadows introduced that resolution, Boehner left and, and Paul Ryan became the Speaker of the House. Right. And so here we are. And how did this happen? I mean, what what are the forces? Because, I mean... I've gone to you so much during the last few days with so many questions because what happens inside the house, some of the rules are very arcane. It's so much about different relationships. How did this all happen? How did Matt Gates get somebody like Nancy Mates, for example, to join him and the other seven people to get rid of, uh, of Speaker McCarthy? Yeah, so let's be clear. So when you remove someone, um, uh, Speaker of the House, all you need is a majority vote. And so if you're going to have all the Democrats vote to remove the Speaker and you have such a slim majority of Republicans giving them the gavels in the majority, it only takes five, six members of the House to have the Speaker removed. There are eight Republicans that vote, uh, voted to remove um, Kevin McCarthy in total. But what that means is like over 96 percent of House Republicans wanted to keep Kevin, Kevin McCarthy in the speakership, and it was only eight people who said, we want to kick him out and go in a different direction. I think that's such an important distinction to make. So people say, well, everyone's unhappy with Kevin McCarthy. Well, you have what you said, 97% of the the House conference, the Republican conference, wanted to keep Kevin McCarthy. And of course, Sean, the Democrats must be loving this chaos. They do love it because, let's get a question, what does this mean, right? So, uh, Republicans have had a couple of missions recently. It's they're doing an impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden. And it's been going very well. It has. 
they're well, bad for America. Yeah, bad for America, but information that we thought we all knew was happening, but never thought would come out. They're finally connecting the dots. They're getting all these financial. I mean, you've been saying, Sean, for like over a year, you've been like, this is not hard stuff. We just need the financial documents. There's a, you know, this is a forensic financial investigation. It's easy to connect these dots. It's data. It's not speculative. It, you know, you, it's, it's, you can do this. And sure enough, Representative Colmore has been doing a very effective, methodical job of little by little bringing out the information to the point where now even Democrats believe that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were actually, you know, doing these dirty deals with the with the Chinese and and with the Russians but and to, the but, Ukrainians. But, but to that point, we're not talking about um, well, an impeachment. Making, they're, right? they're, they're not talking about in, impeachment. There's not hearings on in, on the impeachment inquiry. They're not investigating Joe Biden. That work is not happening. Uh, they're, they're also not, they're not doing the hearings. No, they're, they've been they've been in, uh, embroiled in a removal of the speaker. Right. They've they now now they've all left and gone home and they're talking about who is the next speaker going to be. They're all consumed with the leadership of the House. They're not consumed with with uh, with Joe Biden. Now, some of their staff might still be doing some work uh, behind the scenes and the documents that they have. But I, I don't think they can get subpoenas even out right now. New subpoenas without an actual elected speaker of the House. Is that the rules? You can't get a subpoena without having a, a speaker of the House? I, and 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 McHenry is not as sufficient as a stand-in to make those kinds of calls? So Patrick McHenry is the is the speaker pro tem, not elected. He has a certain limited role that he serves, but he is not the elected speaker. So, and every, um, every uh, committee is set up with certain rules. And so just take, let me get back to my original point. We're not talking about Joe Biden and impeachment. We're not talking about the border. We're not talking about inflation. We're not talking about Hunter Biden. Things that are on the minds of every single American that they actually care about, instead of talking about those things, the media is gleefully and happily, as well as Democrats and Joe Biden, talking about the dysfunction in the House. And that's a, it's a tragedy. But That's a great I, point, by the way. The, the media loves that this happened. It gives them an excuse to not talk about any of the things that Republicans have, bring, have been bringing about the border, which has, has been turning on the Democrats and also with Hunter and, and Joe Biden. Well, to the point where Joe Biden is now talking about building a wall, that's how bad it's going. He's getting so much pressure from Democrats. He's taking a page out of Trump's book. But uh, so th that's the problem is, is just the narrative and the work that's not happening um, in the, the Congress. But so you and I are conservatives. You and I talk a lot. We've done even podcasts about how freaked out we are about, a, you know, $33 trillion in debt. Mm -hmm. And that we've had this massive amount of money that was spent during COVID. And the money hasn't gone back to the 2019 levels. Joe Biden has continued to spend massive amounts of money that are completely unsustainable, that are driving inflation, going to risk the stability of the dollar. All of that is wildly troubling and concerning. And so I'm about cutting spending. And I think you're about cutting spending, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is, so it's, it's, it was remarkable to me that the in the House, you had the, the Freedom Caucus, the conservatives joined up with the, uh, the Main Street people, which are the moderates, and they cut a deal to stop a government shutdown, which was going to happen at the end of September uh, or October 1st. Stop that, cut spending. And this, by the way, is a, as a side note, um, it's always the art of the possible in Congress because not everyone thinks like you and I do. Not everyone thinks like people listening to this podcast. 
you have some Republicans that come from pretty moderate districts. Joe Biden won their districts. They're not rock rib conservatives. And then you have rock rib conservatives that want to slash and burn the budget a little bit like we do. And you need every single vote and you have to negotiate the most conservative, cost-effective, cost-cutting bill possible. And they did that. And Matt Gates came in and said, I'm not going to vote for that because not because it was not enough, not because it didn't cut enough. Really, Matt, if you if and you, you've heard talk about this, rumors about it, but it's true. Matt Gates is angry at Kevin McCarthy because he feels like Kevin McCarthy didn't protect him from the ethics violation uh, or in, in investigation investigation that's being done in the House that could actually have Gates removed from Congress. That goes back to you know little girl trafficking and you know the FBI had done a release on that. I don't know if that's true or not, but we don't know if it's true. But apparently he had crossed state lines with some girl who was un- underage. I don't even know the full details. I know the FBI was involved, and he felt like Democrats circle around their own. No one's protecting him, and we all know that there are some shady things that the FBI has been doing. You know, against people that they think are you know not in line with with the you know target they become targets of the of the democrat party and so i think yeah he did feel that way but he did in this negotiation sean and that avoided the shutdown he did effectively say let's let's pull out ukraine spending and vote on that separately correct well let's, let's we're going to come to that in a second okay. so uh conservatives and, and and the moderates cut a deal right and you got to cut a deal to to actually cut spending and fight with the Republicans in the Senate who are joining with Democrats to spend more cash and Ukraine cash as well. And if you don't come together as moderates and conservative Republicans, then the then you have to negotiate with the, then then Speaker McCartney has to negotiate with Democrats in order to get the votes to get it over to the Senate. And it's better to negotiate within your little family, your Republican family, than it is to have to cross over to the Democrats, which ironically is what Matt Gates did in order to get rid of Speaker McCarthy. <laughs> That's right, because if you go negotiate with Democrats, you're not going to cut any spending. You're actually going to spend more money. And so I want to be clear. I'm not throwing stones at Matt Gates for the for what's happening in the investigation in the House, the ethics investigation. No idea whether that's because fair or not. I, I'm willing to believe it might not be fair just based on what I've seen the FBI do. <laughs> but I will tell you on the ethics committee, um, it's it's bipartisan. And unless there's really damning evidence, they don't throw people out. It's, they're all part of the, the House. You got to do something really wrong. And there has to be real evidence. And oftentimes, you know, what happens to a Republican will probably then also happen to a Democrat. So, so to a Democrat, there's a little bit of a fraternity, uh, bipartisan fraternity. So unless it's really, really egregious, they're not going to throw you out. You don't think, Sean, because the Congress is even more partisan than it was when you were in office. Uh, you don't think that's the case? Because I, I saw the January 6th committee, there were Republicans and 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 Democrats joined together um, on that. So this is different. On the ethics committee, it's very bipartisan. And they okay. and they take up cases of both Republicans and Democrats, you know, and they, and they do it in unison. And sometimes you'll find, you know, Republicans wanting to punish a Republican member and Democrats will be the ones that step in and go, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not, don't, don't do that to them. Because they may know that they have a Democrat who has the same problem. And so there's a little bit of, of ass covering, if you will. That is a technical term. Yes. Uh, covering. So again, I don't know what was going to happen to Matt Gates here. The bottom line is I'm telling you this because he was angry at McCarthy and therefore he got a few other members to say, we're not going to pass this negotiated deal which was going to cut spending 
um, when we came to September 30th and, and avoided a shutdown on October 1st. Now, I want to be really clear to everybody. They didn't cut enough for my liking. They, I, 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 I want them to go further. They need to cut more. And you can cut where you wanted. You want the FBI and Homeland Security. There's some offices within Homeland Security that are doing some really awful surveillance, illegal, unconstitutional surveillance on Americans. You wanted that those things cut. You wanted the D DOJ's budget cut so they wouldn't have money to go after, you know, Republicans. And you wanted the FBI curtailed as well. That's right. That's what that's what I wanted. But they cut this deal, right? Um, and Matt Gates with a couple others, because all the Democrats were going to vote against it. So Matt Gates only needed five, six people to say we're not going to vote for it. And they wouldn't. And therefore, there was no bill coming out of the House at the end of September to keep the government funded. And so, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play both sides here because I know what people will say. Well, they'll say, oh, good, shut it down. Shut her down. Shut her down. And, I knew so many people that were saying that. And by the way. I'm I'm you can find me in the camp of shut her down, right? I and I'm all and I've we've done a podcast where I talked about shut it down, but let me just let me give you a caveat. If you're going to shut the government down, you actually have to pass a bill that cuts funding but keeps it open. What Republicans were walking into on September 30th was they were gonna not pass a bill to keep the government open and just have it shut down. That is an untenable position. If you're going to shut it politically, speaking. if you're going to shut it down, tell America what you want to do to keep it open. It's like we'll keep it open, but we're going to slash and burn the Department of Justice, FBI, the DOJ, Homeland Security. That's not what we, happened. They didn't have any bill, right? And so what McCarthy did is he went to uh, the Senate, Senate Republicans, and said, "Hey, listen, give me time. Let's do a CR." Don't pass a bill. Continuing resolution. Right. To fund the government at current levels, which I don't love, but it's going to give McCarthy time to say, OK, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to um, figure out how the House can come up with a, with, with a deal amongst ourselves. What wouldn't have worked is if Senate Republicans had worked with Senate Democrats, Chuck Schumer, and passed a, a bill to fund the government with Ukraine spending in it and sent it to the House. We say that they would have been jamming House Republicans. Democrats in the House would have said, take this so bill off. Arcane rules, Sean. But yes, you're, you're, you're take, right about that. Take it to that. And again, I'm getting a little bit in the weeds, but I hope you can follow me here because if, if the Senate sent the House a bill, Democrats and the media would have gone wild and say, we have a bill to keep it open. You don't have a bill yourself. The pressure would have come to take the Senate bill to fund the government, which was a really bad bill. And so Kevin McCarthy was able to get Senate Republicans to not work with Senate Democrats. And so the Senate couldn't pass a bill and the House couldn't pass a bill. And that's how Kevin McCarthy got Democrats to join him and Republicans to do a continuing resolution, fund the government at current levels for 45 days, giving the House time to figure their their business out and cut spending. Okay. Does this make sense? It, it does, except explain to me where the, the squad representative <laughs> Jamal Bowman pulling the fire alarm, pretending like he did it and all the weird stuff. How does that play into the timing of how this uh, CR ended up be being passed? So really good question. So um, Republicans were brought up, Kevin McCarthy and Republicans brought up a bill to fund the, to, to do a CR, continue resolution, keep the funding at current levels just for 45 more days so they could figure out their business, like I said. Well, as that bill was on the floor, Democrats, they started to stall. They asked for the bill to be read. 
they started giving speeches. The leader of the Democrats in the minority has, has what's called a magic minute. Usually everyone's, everyone is timed when they speak, but the leader of, of both parties can talk for as long as they want. So the leader of the Democrats came down and started talking forever. What they were doing was they were trying to stall the vote in the House to wait and see if the Senate was oh. going to pass a bill and, and, and jam this thing. So actually they were interfering. He was, Jamal Bowman was, was part of the stall and he pulled a fire alarm to stop the proceedings, stall the proceedings so they could wait for the see if the Senate would pass a bill. I have to believe that that guy who, by the way, is a former um, school principal. So he knows exactly how far fire alarms and, and, you know, that all that stuff works. He's seen it before. He's done probably fire alarm drills um, at his school. So he knows everything about fire alarms. And yet he lied about it. And that is because he was trying to interfere in a more direct way. The other way was sort of a filibustering way, like having the speaker of the Democrat speaker, leader speak indefinitely. But now Jamal Bowman pulls the spire alarm trying to stall it for real. What Hakeem Jeffries in the Democrat Party was doing, he was on the floor and he was stalling. That's legal. That's within the rules. Pulling fire alarms is against the rules. Possibly even a felony. And um, and then we'll get to see, because well, apparently he's under investigation, and we'll see if he was actually coordinating with Hakeem Jeffries or any other Democrats to do that. And that'll be another thing. I don't mean to go off on that, but that's such an important, interesting part of the drama that's all going on that day. So what's, what he did, he, uh, Bowman was saying, I was trying to get to boats, and the door was locked, so I pulled the fire alarm. And so, by the way, you don't see him on the video trying to get out the door first. And after he pulls the fire alarm, he doesn't again try to get out the door. He runs, flees in the opposite direction away after from the door. So he's not trying to get through the door. He flees away from the door and away from the fire alarm thinking, how stupid is he? He knows if nothing else from January 6th, that there's lots of, ca right. <laughs> there's yes. lots of cameras everywhere. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. So Democrats actually voted to do this 45-day extension because if they didn't do that, they would have been blamed and they would have said, listen, you want to shut down the U.S. government because we didn't fund Ukraine. Ukraine funding would have been their excuse why they didn't keep the government open. And that's a losing position in American politics. So that's the backdrop. And so I bring that up because removing Kevin McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, listen, with a five-seat majority, Kevin McCarthy is going to do whatever the House wants him to do. Whatever the will of the, 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 the Republican conference is, is what Kevin McCarthy was doing. I served under him in, in the House when I was there. 
he was one of the most conservatives and no he as a member he was he was a radical conservative until he became speaker and then everyone thought he was a liberal because trying to placate all the different sides of, of you know the the moderates and the the Conservative. Yeah, you're, the, you're, right? you're being all these factions in the House to get to the best deal possible. And so same thing with with Paul Ryan and now again with Kevin McCarthy. And so here's I'm this. This is all bringing me to a bigger point. Conservatives, Republicans who believe this country is on the wrong course, we are on the wrong path. If you believe that you have been set back, if not this whole term for at least a month or two, Republicans are not going to get their act together now. They're going to burn precious time at least four, six, eight weeks as they get a new speaker in there. They try to organize. They try to figure this thing out. It's not going to be simple. And so you've kicked out Kevin McCarthy. But in the end, what's the most important? Yes, spending. Figure out, did Joe Biden sell the country to China? You know, fix. If you figure out how you fix the damn border. Um, and you got to talk about inflation. never going to be fixed until the election. It wasn't, but they were getting some concessions. Um, in in the in the in their in their border work with Democrats uh, on on the funding side and on the policy side, so you're right. It's it wasn't. But I want I, I'm all about the possible. And so here's the difference in Republicans and Democrats. Democrats will take small victories, and they're methodical. It might take them five years, ten years. It might take them like what they did with education. It took them generations to actually make steps forward. So instead of taking a small step forward, and the only step you could take with cutting funding with a small majority and a lot of Republicans that are in seats that Joe Biden won, you can only take a small step. But I need them to take that step. Now, when we're going to go through this 45 days, watch. They're not going to cut anything. It's not going to get better than what they, the, the deal that the conservatives and moderates cut in the House before the would shut down. It is going to be worse. Less, less, less cutting, less concessions, and America's worse off for it. So I know people applaud, get rid of Kevin McCarthy. We're, we're winners. No, in the end, you got Kevin McCarthy's scalp, but you are going to be a loser in the long run because you are going to get less of what you think is necessary to win the day for America. And again, I don't think people, you're not more conservative than the two of us and that understand the threat of, debt and spending like the two of us, but I need some victories. In this victory, this is a massive defeat for conservatism. So there's two things that Sean and I have been like talking about this, you know, because I have a lot of questions and it's really interesting to be married to somebody who was in the house and understands all the politics and all the different rules and the way things work that, you know, I, it just is not as simple. And it's been fascinating to break this down. There's two things that you said to me that I found really interesting because I, I tend to be, as Sean said, I'm probably to the right of even Sean. And I also love disruptor, disruptors and disruption into the system because I think the system is whack right now. I think it's horrible. But there's a couple of things that you said that really struck me. One was uh, back to your point of, of how much more committed uh, uh, Democrats are to the, to the long-term gains than they are, than Republicans are. And one of the examples you gave was, um, it was a great one and you lived through it, which was, you know, Obamacare and how, when, when Obamacare vote came to be that, when that vote came up, there were Democrats in moderate districts who barely won, who knew 
that if they voted for Obamacare, their own personal career in Congress would be over, that they would they would not win re-election. And they were willing to take that vote. They were willing to lose their seat in order to pass something that they felt was really important for more of this, you know, centralized control that they wanted in the federal government. And they thought that having people, you know, dependent on the federal government for health care was a big part of, you know, what they wanted to see happen. And they were willing to do it. It was a, it was a remarkable thing that they did. Um, and right now, you know, they, yeah, they lost they lost seats. Did they lose the the majority because of it? Yeah, they lost. That's what brought in you and 90 some Republicans in the Tea Party revolution in 2010. And yet eventually they got the majority back and they were willing to do that. It's really hard to imagine Republicans uh, who are just a lot more wily, a lot more independent, maybe a lot more selfish um, to make that kind of career, I guess, sacrifice. No, to, to that point, so the, the guy I ran against, um, he was a 42-year incumbent in 2010. He actually was one of the architects of Obamacare. He was in the speaker's chair, and he managed the debate and gaveled in the victory for Obamacare. And they gave up. You're right. People lost. He I, lost I, his seat, too. I won, I won my seat over spending and Obamacare. We won, and so did 87 other Republicans. But in the long run, maybe he won. Because Obamacare is here and that's part of his legacy, right? And he's proud of it. We know it's bad for the country, but he's proud of it. And he can go and he can and, and in the Democrat, you know, history books, he will be go down as a hero who sacrificed his career for that. So there's that. And then the other point I thought that you brought up, which was a great point, which is everyone gets angry at the speaker, in this case, Kevin McCarthy, for not being conservative enough. And what you say is the speaker is only a reflection of the conference. And so if you're really mad about the direction or the or the way that CR, don't look to Kevin McCarthy. Look at all of your own individual members of Congress, Republicans, because they are the ones they actually with only a four vote majority in the House. Truly, you're right, Sean. It was, it was a real eye opening sort of statement and, and, and way that you laid it out. Kevin McCarthy has no power, not because of Matt Gates, but because of all the other members. And what that CR looked like was a reflection of the individual members. So if you're not happy right now, look at your own member, and not to, at Kevin. So you, to your point, Kevin McCarthy is not a dictator. He couldn't mandate, we're going to do something more conservative or less conservative. If he tried that, they'd actually, they would have thrown him out. Yeah. This, that the bill was a reflection, the negotiation was a reflection of the Congress itself. Yeah, you're right. And just another point, we, Matt Gates did an interview on Maria Bartiromo Sunday Morning Futures. I remember this, this interview. And I, he did a really great job. And you watched it and you said, I kind of agree with Matt Gates. Let's what you oh, need that's to- that's so hard for me to say because you know I'm a big Maria Bartiromo font fan. I can, she almost says no wrong. But in this interview, Matt Gates really kind of, you know, they went head to head, mano a mano. And in the end, I felt like, you know, even though Maria was pushing back pretty well on him, I felt like Matt Gates made excellent, excellent points. And I was like, Sean, you should watch this interview. And Sean watched it and he was like, have you pulled up? He pulled a fast one. So, yeah, with three. So I watched Rachel was getting ready for bed and I pulled up the interview and we listened to it. And by the way, I listen, it's hard to push back. It was, listen, Matt, Matt Gates is smart, really smart. I think and he's a graduate from Harvard. He's, 
He's a he's a really he's he's articulate. He's smart on his feet. And so, if you're not actually in the know, it was it's hard. Like, I give Maria a lot of credit. She gave pushback, but she it, with not being in the know, it's really challenging to you to, to fight in the inside of how Congress works. Right. And so I played it, and I I kept stopping the interview and pointing out to Rachel that's a lie. He's mischaracterizing. He's misrepresenting here. We went through the interview, and Wait, really really smooth, really really compelling, but really a lot of bullshit. And so let me just bring up another. Because, see, as we were watching it, you we we have a system that we can watch it and actually pause. And so Matt Gates, you know, Maria would ask something, Matt Gates would say something, Sean would pause and go, "That's bull." Like you, you can't do that. You literally can't, you know, because of the rules of the house, do this. Or and then we'd play a little bit more, and then he'd break that down and show where it was faulty. And to me, what was also incredible, Sean, is how you. You know, as individual citizens, it all becomes the rules become so convoluted in the way the system works. You almost can't understand it unless you're in it. It's it's not it almost isn't fair, right? But a lot of it is understandable too, and you got to. But also, some of it is not. You got to have worked in the Congress to understand it. One of the Matt Gates has continually said, "I'm angry." Kevin McCarthy promised twelve appropriations bills. We bring them to the floor and we give amendments and we work the will of the Congress. And by the way. I agree with that. We, 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 he should have done 12 bills. He said he was going to do it. Matt Gates makes the point that he didn't do it. And fair point. Fair point. Kind of fair point. Because here's the problem. What, what's supposed to happen is the, the, the House is supposed to pass 12 appropriations bills. And it's great because the, the bill is going to come to the floor and then all members can come down and make amendments to put more money in one place, take money out of another place. And you really, the Congress itself works its will, modifying and changing the the how the government spends that only works if the senate passes their 12 appropriations bills because what should happen then is on added workforce that's one of the appropriations bills the house bill and the senate bill go to conference and the two sides work out their differences in that bill but if the senate doesn't pass an added workforce bill you have no one to negotiate with so Yes, it's nice in theory if the House would have passed 12 appropriations bills, but if the Senate doesn't pass them, you're going to be right back to we're going to do one big appropriations bill like where they're at at the end of you know September trying to forestall a shutdown. So nice, nice effort, Matt. But if the Senate doesn't do their work either, you're stuck doing you know, one big bill. You no, know the Senate's not going to do it. No, they hadn't done any, any appropriations bill, so they weren't going to do it. And so here we sit. Matt Gates, I think, is 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 going after McCarthy because it's personal. He's he's holding himself out as a you know you know great conservative knight and champion. And what he's done is he's set our movement back. The things that you and I are so troubled by this country, we're not going to make any progress now. We're going to actually lose ground from what we could have had had Matt Gates not been such a selfish, self-centered and duped so many good conservatives out there into believing that he was um, the, 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 the man of justice and the bearer of conservatism. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Since the 1970s, working class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. 
While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. Can we talk about Nancy Mace? Like that was one of the most surprising things was to see Nancy Mace among the eight members who actually ended, essentially ended Kevin McCarthy's career. I mean, I think he's going to retire after this. So, you know, she came in famously as a, as a very moderate uh, conservative uh, uh, Republican from a really, you know, I guess a not super hardcore Republican district. And she is famously sort of, you know, likes to present herself as reasonable on abortion, meaning that she has, you know, uh, pro-choice. She's not as pro-life as, say, Rachel Campbell Steffi. Um, and which has always, you know, rubbed me the wrong way. She has shown some interesting, you know, she was very pro-vaccine and vaccine mandates. And then she herself had a vaccine injury. And I thought it was brave of her to come out and talk about that injury because a lot of people who have had vaccine injuries um, are afraid to talk about it, especially if they took a harder position on on vaccine mandates. So it was really encouraged by that. Then she had this really weird moment where she went to a prayer breakfast on behalf of Tim Scott in South Carolina and made a real huge faux pas. I like could not read the prayer breakfast room somehow and talked about how she wasn't late because she told her boyfriend, she essentially said, I'm not going to, you know, stay in bed with you. I have to get up and go to the prayer breakfast as if that gave her, you know, points with the Christian crowd at the prayer breakfast. It was really a bizarre, uncomfortable moment. Use your imagination on what stay in bed means. Yeah, um, with her fiance, by the way, not her husband. It wasn't even like I'm, you know, my husband wanted to have sex and I couldn't make it to the prayer breakfast on time or I was, or it was my, my fiance wanted me to stay in bed, but I was such a good girl that I said no to sex and came to the prayer breakfast. Crazy moment. Um, and then now she's joining with Matt Gates on, you know, what essentially is, you, you know, moment, as you said, Sean, that really puts us back. Like, why would she have joined this eight? And I kept calling around. I understand that her district was redistricted, right? So it's more conservative. And maybe this prayer breakfast thing played to it where she's got a crown. See, I'm, I'm more conservative or I, I don't know what's going on here, but it was just weird. So Nancy Mace, you're right, you're right about the district, more conservatives of this. She's trying to get more cred to remove Kevin McCarthy. And a lot of, a lot of this, and I've dealt with these people, the, you know, the, the eight, they're, they're, they have a different thought process. They sometimes have their own personal needs. They put ahead of the country and, you know, what's best for the country. There's no deal that many of them would take. They're just angry and they're not there to work to start to fix the country and get us on the right course. They're just there to it's say no. That, I mean... Matt Gates has his issues with Kevin McCarthy and the investigation. Maybe each of them has their own individual personal reasons. Let me go back to something else you said. You talked about Democrats when they passed Obamacare. That was important because Democrats at that time had the House, the Senate, and the White House. Barack Obama was the president. Um, and no matter what, what, the, what the House passed, the Senate too would pass. Today, 
if Republicans die on, on to, you know, die on the cross, if you will, to kind of think about this, what would have happened was, yeah, you might get a really conservative bill out of the House, but there's no way that's going to pass in the Senate. And there's no way, is, you know, Joe Biden's going to sign it. So to make strong, strong inroads on spending, especially those that are attacking the American citizenry, um, is important. But it is, is Republicans better if they get the House and the Senate ever again. Don't just pass uh, tax reform like we did, right? Yeah. Not just tax reform. You got to do some big things that are long lasting. And that was the difference there. They had all of government. Right now, Republicans just have the House, but they can leverage that House into doing great things for the country. Can we talk about the horse race now? Like what happens now? We're on the same page. We're so mind melding. Yes. So we have two people in the race for speaker. Right. So Kevin McCarthy's like, I'm not running again. I imagine uh, that uh, later this week or next week, Kevin McCarthy will resign. Um, he'll go on his way, just just like Eric Cantor did. He was the leader of the House, lost his uh, primary bid in 2014, I think it was. Uh, and he left a few days later. Kevin will do the same thing. Minor went on to lobby for pot. For marijuana, yes. So let's go. So here we have uh, we have um, Steve Scalise, the leader of the House. Many know Steve. He was he was out on the baseball field. Uh, sadly, Steve is uh, now dealing with uh, uh, cancer right now, and the man's a, a scrapper and a fighter from Louisiana. Um, well, like I'm surprised that he's wanting to take this on, given his health uh, condition. And you never, I don't know how, how what regiment he's on. So, but again, every family, every individual goes through an assessment. Can so you do the job? And I'm sure he's done that. Jim Jordan, rock ribbed conservative, um, is also going to run for the speakership. This, uh, what about McHenry? Who is now in, I guess he's like speaker and pro tem. Pro tem. So, yeah. so uh, I don't think he hasn't made an announcement yet. I do not think Tom Emmer, Minnesota from Minnesota, he's the, he is the whip. So he's third in line. Nice guy, by the way. Really nice guy. Really smart. He's done a great job as the whip. He's indicated he's going to not run for speaker. He's going to run for the leader position. So, so it's just, you guys know, it's the speaker's the top job. Second is the leader. Third is the, is the whip. Elise Stefanik is rumored she runs the conference um, from New York. She might run for speaker as is well. Is she too green in your view, or is she could she be ready for this? Like uh, I like her a lot. She's a great gal. Yep, smart. Uh, I think she's probably still a little green and probably doesn't have the 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 support right now. So here's the so let's take a step back. What's going to probably happen is you might find Jordan and Scalise come to an agreement where Scalise runs. And Jordan runs for ma the majority position. That been the leader. I'm sure you the, the, the leader position. Thank you for that. Um, that could happen, but that doesn't mean the conference is going to go for it, right? Um, but that so Scalise have a lot of. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys who has more support within the conference, uh, Scalise or Jordan. So uh, or Emmer. Let's talk about that first by saying. The way a speaker is elected is usually Republicans will go into a conference and whoever wins the majority in the Republican conference wins the race in the conference to be the nominee for speaker. But that's not what makes you speaker because everybody in the House votes for speaker and every Democrat is going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries, their leader. So you need every single Republican but four to vote for you. You can only afford to lose four people in order to win. So basically every Republican has to agree. What's with these eight that voted against McCarthy? They probably try to play nice. But you can give a faction of five, six people that say we're not going to vote for Scalise or we're not going to vote for... And then Jordan. it goes back to conference. 
So the question is, will... This are these voting rounds that we saw with McCarthy. So the question is, and, and, and McHenry is going to lead this in the conference um, with Elise Stefanik. What's going to happen is they're going to try to come with someone who can get all the votes, right? Um, yeah, at this point, they don't want to look like a show. But if they can't, they might go to the House floor and just start voting and voting and voting. And that that just makes everything look weak. I mean, the, the strongest thing they could do is, and, and do you think that they're, I mean, you were, you've been in those rooms. The, the, imagine yourself there right now. This, as we called it, this volcano, this hurricane, this tsunami just happened with Kevin McCarthy. There's probably a lot of, I mean, you've seen the interviews, there's a lot of animosity. And now they need to look strong coming out. Is there an impact for that? to not have what people hated last time around, all those 15 or how many rounds that Kevin McCarthy went? Is there, is there a desire among all of them to come together to look strong? There aren't any cameras in the conference. It's private. And so- I snuck in one time. Sean let me stand in the back and I got to see what was going on. A couple of times you can't- A couple of times I've done that. <laughs> so, so you would hope that they're going to try to rally around one person. Um, and get it done in conference. And it's, it's very possible they won't. I imagine they're going to go to the floor and then on full public, they're going to show what a mess Republicans are. They're going to go vote after vote after vote. And so what can happen is if, if Scalise and Jordan can't get a, uh, a basically, not a majority, like all the Republicans to vote for them, what's going to happen are people are going to start to work. The sides are going to start working on who is the consensus candidate. And that's when you don't know who you're going to get. It could be, it could be, it could be. What's the pressure to make sure it doesn't get to that point? Well, so the, the, the pressure to make it get not get to that point. Well, I think, um, they, they might look for a consensus candidate in conference, but after you're there and you're not getting a resolution, they're going to go to the floor and the, the, the pressure of seeing what a disaster they are from their home districts, from conservatives, you'll see. You know, the likes of Mark Levin and Sean Hannity, you know, the weekend Fox and Friends show going after these guys about what a disaster they are. That pressure, as well as what people are hearing from home, gets them to go, we got to find a deal here. Who can we get it? So I'm not somebody, Sean, that you think realistically, anyone from a Matt Gates to uh, uh, I'm trying to think of somebody, Hunter uh, Mark, I mean, like across the spectrum. People can. It seems to me like a Jim Jordan has the sort of conservative credentials, the name ID, and this. But I mean, I, I guess so much of it's also how likable they are in the conference. I mean, I would assume Jim is, but I have no. So, so Jim, Jim Jordan had been conservative firebrand. Um, he actually blew up some deals that he shouldn't have blown up back when you know back in. But he's like considered a little more like. Moderate these days, like he sort of got a grandfatherly, I guess, for lack of a better way. It's he's not the he's not the blow it up, you know, guy that he was when you were in in Congress with him. He's sort of matured, and he, I mean, again, famously was not part of the eight. Was with Kevin McCarthy because he understood how the system worked. Jim Jordan is crushing it. He's Jim. Jim is doing a great job and has has got a lot of respect. Um, and so, but I don't know. So, but if, if it's not one of those two, I think it's going to be a, a McHenry. Uh, he's the chair of the financial services committee. He was the deputy whip under Steve Scalise. McHenry was when Scalise was shot and in the hospital, 
Patrick McHenry did the job of whip for a long time. And so people saw him in that role as a whip and he did a very, very good job as well. Everett's the, from Minnesota, he's the whip right now. Yes. So one of the things that the whip has to do is be really, you know, have good relationships with everybody because he's trying to count the votes and get everybody help the speaker sort of rally or hurdle all the cats, right? And they get them all together. Uh, so, I mean, he's a really likable guy. Could it be somebody like him? So Tom, I, I was going to say the next one was, would be Tom Emmer. So would the, the whoops had an important job in that they not only count votes, but then it's like, well, he is concerned about the bill. And if you do this to the bill, she'll get on board. And then they got to figure out, well, if I put Rachel's provision in her priority, do I lose four people because I did that? It sounds like a horrible job, Sean. <laughs> or do I get Rachel on and not lose anybody? So you're counting, the counting and actually Tom does a great job of, of going, what does Rachel want? What is, what, how do I get Rachel to yes? And then, you know, getting good information, work through the information of the members really matters. And he's been remarkable in the house. So a lot of horse trading when you're trying to herd cats like that. Like I can imagine that at some point, just come on, I just need you to get onto this. We'll work on this other thing in the future. I mean, you got to have that kind of relationship with people, right? Yes. And, and so, trust. And trust. So what you'll find is, um, whether it's Kevin Hearn is the chair of, um, uh, the other conservative group, not the Freedom Caucus, but but the other one, um, study committee. And so Kevin could be in play as a, a member of a, a larger caucus on a, on the House side of Republicans, or one of the chairmen of one of the committees could be someone that's Who's become the, the consensus. Horse? Who's the dark horse? So listen, I think I think it's someone in leadership, which again is Steve Scalise, um, Tom Emmer, or a gavel, which would be um, uh, Jim Jordan. Elise Stefanik. What about Kathy McMorris Rogers? So Kathy McMorris Rogers was the conference chair before. Now she chairs the Energy and Commerce Committee. Um, I'm not sure that that Kathy mixed it, but you know who knows? I mean, she was she was she was very well liked. Um, she was she's great in conference, and you know she's done a great job at ENC. So yeah, Kathy McMorris Rogers, who was in leadership before, could make that happen. Um, but I, I listen. It, 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 what this, what I'm telling you is if anyone, if you listen to someone on TV or a podcast that's going to tell you what's going to happen, they're lying to you <laughs> because nobody knows what's going when to happen. When does the voting start? So next uh, Tuesday is when Republicans get together conference and try to figure out, can they get um, 218 people in the conference to say yes to one person? Okay. So what is, tell me what you imagine life is like for Matt Gates in Congress right now. What, because you guys, what, what, it's so interesting when you're so close to, to somebody who's been in con Congress, you guys run into each other all the time. You share a very small cloakroom together. Uh, what's life for him there? And what's it going to be like for him? What role does he play on Tuesday when they start making these votes? Is he sort of persona non grata because everybody's mad at him? Or in some ways, are people like, we got to bring him in so we can make this vote happen? And that there's sort of like a, like a, you know, a, a begrudging, you know, sort of reconciliation. What's it like to be Matt Gates in Congress? So I could do like this. If you had a chance to sit next to Matt Gates or Herpes, you'd probably sit by Herpes or <laughs> Matt Gates if you're in the house right now. That Listen, he is not liked at all. Um, so, the wow, that's pretty strong, Sean. I wasn't expecting that. So, going back to going back to, I mean, honestly, like you think people are really angry at him, or are they going to try to 
make nice with him because they do need is he I'm assuming he has control over eight of those votes, those eight people. But no, he got eight people to oust Kevin McCarthy. But I, not... you told me in order to come up with one name, they can only afford to lose four people. So yeah, does Mac does Matt Gaze might want to play against now and be like, whatever the consensus is, I got rid of McCarthy. Now I'll do whatever you guys want. I'll be nice. I, I don't I don't know who's going to do what, but here's the deal. These guys, so everyone's, I, listen, you got a lot of really good members. They're trying to do the right thing. They can't do what you and I all want them to do, but they are doing the best of their, to the, to the best of their ability. They're pissed that they have to go through this. They lost the speaker and now they're going through this process instead of the things that matter to them and their districts. They're going to have a, you know, a full display show on hands. As you know, this, they they do they do the conference on Tuesday. On Wednesday, they anticipate coming to the floor and doing votes. And so, let me just in the conference. Let me tell you what's happening right now. If you've ever seen a high school election for president, that's what's happening right now in the house <laughs> to a little more sophisticated level. Okay, slightly more sophisticated. Are, are cupcakes being made? What's happening? You have the cheer squad out doing <laughs> pom poms. No, so what you have is, um, I'm running for a speaker. Um, I'm going to get uh, a number of my closest friends to say, will you help me? And so phone calls are being made. So you and your friends are making phone calls to every other member, asking them if they'll support you. And then, you know, trying to gauge, are you a for sure supporter, a maybe supporter, uh, not supporter, but could support, or you're never going to support me. You do have a list of what's one through four and you categorize everybody. You start working the phone, trying to get the support. and just like you're necessarily not in the halls um, of your school, but you're working phones. And then when people no, are all, sounds super high school shop. And then when you're back in Congress, you're actually going up to people. You're asking them for the vote. What can you do for them? What What are the biggest priorities? You're like, you are working very personally trying to get the votes. And the problem is you need all the votes. Yep. Every single person basically has to vote for you. And it's a hard lift. And you're trying to manage some of the concerns that some might have with you. You're making promises to others that you can make, not making promises that you, that you can't keep. Um, but it's a, it's, it is, it is, it is, it's actually kind of a grueling time for those who are running. But so think not only are people running for speaker, but Steve Scalise, who is the leader, is running for speaker. So then you have Tom Emmer, who's running for a speaker. I mean, for leader, and some other people are going to probably run for leader as well. But that means then the whip position is open. So people are going to run for whip. And if it's like full, like you're right, it's full chaos, upheaval in, in the house. And so as they're working on getting votes and 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 making phone calls, um, Joe Biden's not at the top of their mind. It's not at the top of mind. Um, all these things that are were, were sort of be coming into focus and and they were getting gaining, I think, a lot of good ground in in terms of bring the media attention towards issues that people really care about on the Republican side. All of a sudden, they're, they're focused on this. All new players in all new positions, trying to pick up where we left off before Kevin McCarthy and left. And once someone's elected, then it takes a while to get your team going. I mean, you lose the time on that as well. That's why you're saying it sets you back months, um, this whole thing. And time is precious. You only have so much time. And so again, for the, for the, I'm going to put in quotes, conservatives that think this is good in the end, mark my words, you can come back and we can, you know, listen to this podcast five months from now and tell me if you got more or less than you would have with the deal that was struck between the conservatives and the freedom caucus.
and, you know, the moderates and, you know, how much further did you get? And I think you're going to realize five months from now, it felt good. It was great to house Kevin McCarthy, but in the end, I didn't move the ball at all. Actually, I lost this slim, slim majority and moment in time we had to hold Joe Biden accountable before the presidential election and a potential changing of the house, um, in the next election. So it's, it's, it is, it's, it's too bad. And again, I want to, I want to be clear you and I both wanted more. We both want more. We both think the country needs more, but are we both think that too much money is being spent on Ukraine, that people should be voting on Ukraine money separately and not out of, out of part of these big deals that we shouldn't be forced to choose between funding the border, um, and, and Ukraine, in other words, they're tying Ukraine's spending to spending at the border, but also spending at the border just means more money for processing. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're actually securing the border. So many problems going on, Sean. They're, they're, they're tying Ukraine money to disaster relief for people who are hit by hurricanes in the U.S. So this is troubling. Um, I didn't even know that. We're going to wait and see how this all plays out. But um, again... As two conservatives who want more from this Congress, I'm willing to take the art of the possible. And we now cash that in and we are going to be worse off. And so it's a good conversation. It's important that you kind of unpack the problem, the, some of the false promises, the, the, the false prophets, the false conservative prophets that come to you and say they're going to deliver something for you. In the end, they will not deliver. So listen, uh, thanks for joining us on uh, podcast at the kitchen table. If you like our podcast, you can review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and please subscribe. You get a notice every time uh, we drop Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, and again, uh, in very short order, we're getting close. We're going five days a week. Um, so watch out for that. Stay tuned uh, for that. And until next time, uh, have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.